0: take what what life dishes out and to respond to it in a way that has allowed us to continue moving forward and in with things that most people would be stopped by um or even killed by my wife has bone cancer right now uh,
1: so it's re it's it's resurfaced didn't she have a bout with it a few years ago was that right She's had cancer six times now. Oh my gosh, oh man.
0: And so it manifested this last time um, in her bone and it was like, what do you do? And I started really studying because it was like, and I've 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 gone through this like really self-examination process because it's like, well, what if you only get, I mean, we always, you know, we only get a finite amount of time with the people we love. Well, what is really important to me, and what what matters, and so, and also what what is going to work, what's going to heal her, <laughs> yeah. and and so, you know what i what I've come to realize has been always my strength um, was also the path out of that was my enthusiasm yeah. and my ability to cultivate joy and, and then exude it and spread it because. Um, I was trying everything and trying to get my wife motivated to do things, to do all these alternative treatments, you know, because it was like the same road. It was like we were going to go do the same exact thing that happened when the radiation happened and all the other forms of cancer started happening. Um, And I just like we have to do something. But she wasn't on board. Um, She, the information just kind of paralyzed her. And so I, like, really had to go, like, much deeper and do a lot more self-examination and then i did a lot more research and i basically figured out that like almost all the testing that's done i mean they're passing around memes it's great there's a lot of information out there on cancer fighting but a lot of it's just done with petri dishes direct to contact and most people don't know that unless they're studying the actual studies and so, I, was basi- I basically tracked down all the natural studies, all how they were doing it. And then I started trying to figure out, how do we get it into our bone? And so, you probably know Arnica. You know, we were always rubbing these things into sore places, and it gets into the deeper joints because it has a solvent that passes through muscle and skin. Wow. So, taking all, rotating through these alternative, you know, activated oxygen that uh, the, I mean, people talk about hemp oil and cannabis oil now. It's like, we, we're using that, you know, topically. Uh, we've used it topically on skin cancer. Um, we're using the turmeric oils, the, the essential oils that have tumorones in them that are the only ones that have ever been tested and proven to fight cancer. Not I'm juicing turmeric's great and all, and we love it, but but I had to go like way deep. And then I had to really like, Say no to so many things, and I like became, became much more recluse than I already was. <laughs> but I had to, at the same time, with all that stress, having it even closer and even more present in my life, hmm. I really had to cultivate the kind of um, unstoppable enthusiasm that and resilient enthusiasm that you demonstrated to me at a key point in my life when. <sighs> I just was living in reaction and I was in a stressed state and I I couldn't grow. And it's, and it's amazing because now I see my academics, the fact that I was stuck in study hall for so many months was up here and it wasn't like learning up here. It was my growth mindset. Yeah. It was like when I finally unlocked, when I finally let go and I finally forgave myself and started forgiving others. Did I, start excelling academically. And it was because of your example. And so I really wanted to revisit that and to talk about that because for me, it is a touchstone in my life. And I know for so many of the students that you've interacted with over the years, it is a touchstone in their lives. And I just want to share, share that with, with, the world and and I want to I'm gathering all these stories and I'm, I'm researching so that I can create this this book called Unstoppable Enthusiasm so that I really can unlock people's greatest potential but by, by having them do it themselves, you know because that's the only way that it can be done, but exploring those examples that 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 you really you really showcased
1: Oh aren't you kind <laughs> you're mad. that means a lot to me that. Um, you never know I mean and I will tell you that as a teacher and a coach and a dorm parent your impact is so much greater on individuals than as head of school as head of school you set a tone Um, that's really the thing you do so much of what you do as a head of school is symbolic right because I'm not having that I'm not um, bringing popcorn into your room at night and sitting down with you and and trying to figure out what's going on but I, so I, we do, we open our house on Saturdays and we'll have 125 kids in our house and that's really fun. You know, they're in the backyard with the fire pit or they're they're playing cards on the living room table or downstairs playing ping pong and pool and feeding them brownie sundays and nachos and popcorn. But, you know, it's, it's different. So it means a lot to me that when I was teaching and working that, that I had that influence on you. So thank you for sharing. Um, I think I love uh, Carol Dweck's work, right, about a growth mindset and the importance of not, um, not having a fixed mindset, being open to failure, being open to trying new things. Um, and I think we as adults have to model that, right, in an educational environments, that you're willing to uh, put yourself out there, you know, willing to constantly, you know, the thing that I feel emphatically is that learning is leading, and if you're learning, you're leading. And um, and if you aren't learning, then you're then your status quo. You know, you're not you're not you're not growing. You're not. I mean, look at with the work with you you did with with Adriana. You know, looking into the research and trying to understand it. As painful as that is, you're you're learning and growing. And so is she. And you know, but I uh, the enthusiasm is interesting because I think. Um, the older I get, the more I feel like a half full glass is so important in life. You know, you can, you can, every time, every situation, you know, you have that opportunity to either look at it as half empty or half full. And um, the other thing that I think is so important, there's that great uh, Chinese saying for uh, crisis has uh, misfortune and opportunity, right? You've got those two things together in crisis. And our job is to not be naive, but to look for those opportunities, right? And, and that, that mindset of there, there's something to be learned here. There's, there's opportunities here. Um, you know, and for me as a, as a Christian, I really look at Christ as that model. That, you know, therefore, uh, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That idea that, you know, in these painful moments, we can have joy. You're not happy. Right? You're not happy when you're suffering or your kids are dealing with issues or your spouse is struggling with cancer. There's nothing happy, but you can be joyful. You know, you can seek joy and and look for opportunities. And I um it's just it's interesting. It it actually came from a conversation with Norm Walker during uh Lent, uh I don't know, uh 15 years ago, 12 years ago, and he was saying, Phil, I you know we look at we look at Christ in the bible and he never laughs he he he's indignant he's angry he's crying he's suffering but he never laughs and i and i and i for me it was that moment when i tried to distinguish between what happiness and what joyfulness is and i think we're called to to live our lives joyfully and we're called to live our lives always looking for the opportunities um or you know, how, how unfortunate if you don't seek that richness, right?
0: Mm. Yeah, I felt I was really locked up. Um, and, 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 and even today, even today, so many years later, it's still this, this process of, of opening my heart and, and allowing what's true now to, to, to speak to me, because it's almost always so challenging <laughs> when you really listen within.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's uh and that's, and you know, it's, uh, I, I so believe that life is meant to be lived, the, the, the sort of existentialism, you know, that it's, if we're not struggling, at some level, we're not growing. And we need to embrace that struggle and and not run away from it. And I think um, that's I don't know that's a, that's a really hard concept. And I don't you know it's funny I, I we one of the things with adolescents today we're dealing with it a lot more uh, anxiety, depression. Uh, there is this uh, instant instant gratification that we have from lots of ways with social media. And um, internet and gaming and that one of the things I love about Holderness is that we embrace at some level we're still working hard to embrace the struggle we make kids do three sports we make them do Outback we make them do Artward Bound where they're having to take risk and try things that they never would try Where they have you know they have the job program every day you know it's and I think I think that it's one of the things that's missing in today's world for our youth is 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 embracing and encouraging a struggle because uh and so the struggles they have aren't these meaningful struggles the struggle like out back they're struggles around uh social media and being how many times you're liked or or uh you know um not being able to have conversations because you're constantly looking down at your you know your your cell phone or whatever it's just um it's a it's a challenging time and how old are your kids now
0: my son, my two boys are eight and twelve, and my older son is <laughs> is entering the, the difficult years. Yeah, really surprising to see him struggle, and how it's it's almost like it's almost like my anger at my dad <laughs> was uh, wasn't really all to do with him. Um, and it really, I mean, when it did really come down to it, it was all me and it was my choice. It was what I was holding. And he had, years later, you know, I talked to him about like all these sorts of things, you know, about the way they hit us, about the way they punished us and and the way they shamed us. And he was like, oh, well that was like the prevailing thought. That's why we parented. <laughs> that was like what we thought was better than guilt. And I was like, whoa. And it was and it was really surprising and, and shocking. Um, well, I'm glad how you. Haven't. I was holding it. I was carrying the pain, and yeah. they had no idea. And when I shared it with them, they were just surprised. And so, mm, so for me, a lot of it is is staying connected to that that enthusiasm, that part of me that roots me and grounds me in in my joy. And so it doesn't matter what's going on in the world around me. It doesn't matter what's on the news. And it, it even doesn't matter um, my personal struggles because they find their place. Um, when I'm in touch with, with, you know, in Theos, in God, when I'm in touch with the divine within me, there's this rooting and grounding. That, and I mean, there's that the definition of fervent, manic, you know, enthusiasm, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm really talking about that rooted that centered and we see it you know in all sorts of religions we see it all over the world in philosophy and in, in successful people and the, our compassionate leaders and and so I really feel like right now this this is the struggle because that connection is what allows those those students those children to to make those actions to make those better decisions and better choices to rise above those problems that are going to come that emotional, uh, struggle that they have to mature through. But I was, I was really curious about what your definition of enthusiasm was.
1: So I think my definition of enthusiasm is, is, it needs to come from within, you know, uh, and it, and it's more linked to what I was saying about joy than it is about, uh, that, as you said earlier manic sort of uh i mean i was actually when and when you when you wrote about it i was thinking huh i was i was curious because i i i think of myself as a uh a positive person, but i hope it's positive in a in a um in a deeply rooted sense and not in a shallow sort of uh superficial sense, so it's that the enthusiasm comes from trying to seek uh, okay, this this sucks. This is this is terrible. All right, so in the scheme of things, um, first off, is is this that big a deal? And sometimes it is, and, and that's the the harder time, right? But most of the things we deal with, they're, I mean, they're things that you gotta admit, they're just they they aren't great, they stink. But on the other hand there are opportunities here. You know, there are things that we can grow from and learn, you know, yeah, you're on study hall again. That really <laughs> stinks. But, but, <laughs> but where are you doing it and what are you learning from this? And, you know, is you know, is it, you know, how can you always be asking yourself, what are the opportunities here? What are the things that, what are, what am I meant to, and it's not a God thing. It's not like God saying, Oh, well, you know, every, you know, Everything works for the good of those who love, you know, what is it? I think it's 828 or whatever in Romans. But it it it's that idea that, that you need to take control of the situation, you know, control the things you control and the things you can't control, you know, you, you can't control. Don't dwell on those. You know, it's, it's that. The other piece I would say for me is as I get older, I learn the importance of living in the present. So important to be be in the moment. Not to, you know, it's like parenting. Do not focus on what it was like when the boys were, you know, six and eight and the great things you had then. On the other hand, don't focus on, well, what is it going to be like when they're, you know, 16 and 18? You know, you you need to savor that moment because that moment won't be there. And, and if you if you're thinking about what it was like before or what it might be like in the future, you lose that moment. So for me, enthusiasm for... moment enthusiasm for what are the opportunities that exist here um it's like aging you know i (laughs) i you know thank i'm knocking on wood thank goodness um i'm not uh i've got my you know basically a healthy body and haven't had issues you know i'm really blessed and thankful for that but i i love getting older i mean it just it's it's awesome i mean physically it's it stinks sometimes cause I can't, I can't do the things that I used to do, but I mean, not, I mean, I still can go for hundred mile bike rides. I can still, you know, 10 mile runs. I can still, so I'm lucky that my body is still relatively. Um, and my mind is, I, I don't remember names as well anymore. That frustrates me, but I love a lot of the things that are going on your perspective. You know, you just, you're, as you get older, you know, you're making more connections and understanding things at a deeper level and you're, you're less likely to be undone by something that would have undone you when you were 25 years old or something. So, and, and, um, your ability to savor moments as you get older is so much greater because you've seen what happens when you don't, you know, whether it's a relationship with a friend that, that, or, you know, you just, I I like getting older, (laughs) but it, but I, you know, I, And right now, you know, I'm 63 or whatever. So I'm getting, you know, the point where oh, I'm going to retire in a few years. And on one hand, you want to be responsible, make sure you have whatever you need to be able to retire and not, uh, you know, be a burden to your kids. But on the other hand, I'm not thinking, I mean, I know I'm going to retire and I know I've put my finances together, but that's not my focus. My focus is on right now, right? And when you're, it's like when you're a kid, uh, you're focusing on, I can't wait to get to college or whatever. Well, don't, and I say this to seniors every year in the spring, I say, look, savor these moments because they'll be gone, you know? And I can't tell you how many alums, you know, are like, I hate this place. I can't wait to get out of here. And then they come back the next year and they say, Oh, I miss holding this so much. I'm like, what, what, (laughs) who are you? You're not the same person that was here six months ago. But, but I think in life as you get older, it's important. That's a really important um, gift that you can, that you can, you can I mean we have friends I mean I have lots of friends who who are my age who don't do that they're they're obsessing on "Oh, I can't wait till I retire or they're complaining all the time about "Oh it sucks, I wish I could do this you know, I used to be able to do these things and I just think in life uh, enthusiasm comes when you when you focus when you're present fully present in the moment and able to enjoy that moment and find joy in even hardships, although I can't even imagine. How hard this has been for you and Adriana to go through that six times, man. So, God bless you. Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, it's been it's 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 hard on the kids too. Um, Oliver is this so resilient? He's this my eight-year-old. He's so sweet, and it's it's a reaction to the situation. You know what I mean? It's like there's two reactions you take, right? You turn it into this like warm, glowing comforter, right? Or you let it get to you.
1: Um, yeah, I can't even. You know, so Oliver's eight.
0: He's eight, and James is James is twelve. James is already shaving. Oh, my word. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. His feet
1: are, like, close to my side. You're role modeling for him, right? <laughs> wow. Wow. Did, were you that way, too? Do you remember? No. Oh, I didn't think no. you
0: were. <laughs> I was, like, senior year. Oh, what's yeah. this? <laughs> but, uh, but But, yeah, no, it's... It's really so vitally important because it's like that process of of dealing with this over and over again has caused me to go deeper and deeper into my heart and asking what's important, what's really important, and what lessons are most important to to teach your son? Like, what, what is the gas that life learners are using to run their engine? you know and and so i've i've been studying high performance and and it, and and so much of it just ties like i the thread i see through it all is enthusiasm and no one's talking about that and so yeah. so i've been getting more physical and feeling that rise i've been trying to do all these different habits and and listen to positive advice and and talks and perspectives from all walks of life, all, all different philosophies and religions and finding this common thread. And yeah, so much of it is, is, is rooted in this, um, this ability to be in that moment but to see past that moment because that's what that faith and gratitude is, is that this is temporary and that there are good things here even if I can't see them.
1: Well, there's also one of the gifts that the, the best teachers and coaches had. Norm Walker had it in his enthusiasm with his coaching, and I and I and in his teaching, and I hope I did too. Is that you, um, you, uh, you you believe in the kids, right? You believe in them and uh, and believe in their potential, um, but you also. Uh, there's a little bit of it's not ch- charisma. It's um, the Pied Piper syndrome that you're you're able to. Th- there's something contagious about enthusiasm and and a deep enthusiasm, not a superficial. Because if it's not authentic, people will see right through it. They'll mm-hmm. see that oh yeah, you're fine there. But that's but if you have this sort of contagious enthusiasm for what you're doing, you're going to. Um, that's what. That's what makes kids, you know, sacrifice huge amounts to be able to achieve what you hope, what you believe they can achieve because you you have that, that, that belief in them. And then there's this, there's this enthusiasm for the poem or for the run you're going to go on or for the, the practice that you're in. And it's like, really, you know, how can you, how can you see that? Mr. Walker, how can you see that? You know, Mr. Peck, that, and and because, and that's that sort of um, uh, that ability to be compelling, that ability to uh, have enthusiasm that is um, that kid that kids can want to follow, want to want to try something that they didn't think they could, is is a really important thing. I think that the best teachers have. Um, you know, I get accused sometimes of being um, Pollyanna, um, but I think that's better than being, you know, a downer. I don't know. <laughs> but you you also want to be naive, and I think what you were saying earlier is the the the, the sort of uh, manic, you know, enthusiasm is is not compelling. It's not. It, it's it's it seems shallow, whereas the really deep enthusiasm and belief in. And situations and in yourself and and in, in others um, that's that's compelling that's going to draw kids and it's going to draw people to follow to follow and want to learn with and from you um, so I think that maybe is part of it too but I love that you're uh you're tackling this what what fun.
0: <laughs> Yeah, and that's really what a big part of it is it's like I know that this is going to feed me so deeply as I go through this. So one of the questions I had for you was a lot of the stories you shared with us, like about your time in Notre Dame, wearing clogs, having people create, you know, these assumptions about you, which, you know, you didn't necessarily think were bad because you're not a judgmental person, you know what I mean? But they've tried to put labels upon you and and you just kind of, Went 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 through. You just didn't. You just didn't let it touch you. And then you were you were a Notre Dame football player, and you were there on scholarship. But then you switched gears and had the faith to to leave that definition behind. And what? How did you go through that that transition? Um, because that not only was it um, like from a, from an on paper perspective, seemed just wild, like a bold step but it looks like looking at the longer time scale that that launched you into a completely new trajectory with coaching the US ski team and all of that so what happened there maybe we could glean some from you um well
1: i think uh there were a couple things one is um you know i think you, so, what defines you? You know, what what defines you? And for me, you know, I was like any kid. You're struggling to figure out: Are you defined by academics? Are you defined by athletics? Are you defined by? Um, and and ultimately, for me, part of that process was understanding that I was defined by my my relationship with God. That God loved me, even even if other people were stereotyping me or I wasn't having success. Um, I I there was a resilience that I had to fail knowing that I wasn't defined by being uh, a, a type of student or being defined by being a, a certain type of athlete or whatever. That um, I was defined more by my attitude and the way I, you know, and my, the way I, but ultimately knowing that even if I failed, I knew that, that God loved me. Even if other people thought I was uh, different or, um, and, and I think for me, that was a big part of that period of being able to stay constant because it was really hard. I mean, I, I think I shared with you every year um, at Dartmouth, I trained harder and skied worse. So my, my I had a fourth place finish in a carnival my freshman year. My sophomore year, I had a fifth place finish. My junior year, I had a sixth place finish and I was so overtrained. I had to take the week off before... Between every carnival, and then I was uh, two places away from scoring at the NCAA's, and if I had scored, we wouldn't have tied for the NCAA championship. We would have won it. And then my senior year, I was so badly trained that I uh, I didn't I was captain of the team and I didn't make the carnival team. So that's significant failure, right? So, but I was I I decided I I really uh, I had to figure it out because I wanted to coach and teach at some point. And how could I possibly coach kids if I couldn't figure it out myself? So that's why I took six years and competed after college, and eventually made the national team, and then, and then was asked to coach the U.S. ski team with the world on the World Cup and the Olympics. So it was really through failure that I found um, success. I mean, I wouldn't be the teacher that I. That I was, and maybe to some extent I am. If I hadn't had all the academic failures, if I hadn't had so many struggles, because I could relate to. I mean, I was six different elementary schools by the time I was in sixth grade, and four different states, and I was a I was a mess academically, and and to some extent even in college I struggled. And then, um, but those struggles there. I, there's no kid in my, uh, in my in my classes that I couldn't relate to, you know. It, cause I had struggled the same, I mean, and the same thing athletically, you know, I, I, yes, I'd had a lot of success, but I'd also had all these setbacks and those setbacks is what allowed me to, I think, be a successful, uh, coach. So, um, I, the two things there. One is knowing that, um, that I wasn't defined by what I did. It was defined, and that God loved me, you know, that I knew that my family was there, I knew that they loved me, you know, I had that sense that I could, I could, I could put myself out there and learn from these situations. And I think it's true. And that mindset is something that I I feel blessed to have had. Um, We've had some really hard times uh, at Holderness, where um, my leadership team wasn't together. And, and, you know, I was questioning whether I could you know, could I run the school and, 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 you know, it was really helpful to know that, you know, yes, I love my job, but it's a job. You know, it doesn't define me. Um, What defines me is my relationship with God and my relationship with my family. And that's, that's what really, um, that's what I seek support from, not from, you know, the accolades I get that, you know, I'm such a good, head of school or whatever. And, and you know, every year I do a 360 evaluation where uh, I get two pages that tells me I'm the second coming as far as a leader goes. And then I get, you know, 10 or 12 pages of really constructive feedback that says, this is good, that I need to work on it. And then I get two pages that says, you're terrible. <laughs> and and how do you deal with that? Do you, how, how do you, and I, and I feel really fortunate that I've, I'm um, at a point where I can, arrogance is, is is grounded in insecurity, and confidence is grounded in humility. I believe that so strongly. And if you don't, if you only have the piece that says you're the second coming, you're the best head of school in America, and you don't, you don't listen to and give value to the things that say, well, this is really a problem for me the way you're doing this, or the school needs this. You, you if you're arrogant, you can't listen to that. And then you can't grow. If you're confident, you have a level of humility that allows you to listen to and grow from that, those situations. And I think I've been really blessed um, to have, to be able to learn and grow um, from those, those situations. And part of it is being in the moment. Part of it is not being defined by my job, even though I love, I think I've got the best job in secondary school education. I love what I do. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So...
0: Wow, thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. Yeah, I had a really hard time when I came to Holderness and my, my knee didn't heal properly. I remember I was watching Lindsay Vaughn last week, just at, not rebound from her knee injury, you know what I mean? Not from her knee surgery and just crying on camera. It just hit me so hard about how- that was so difficult fishing. it is to, to publicly fail. Especially physically. There's something about physically
1: publicly failing. <laughs> well, no, and, and you know, um and it's really hard when you're an adolescent. Yeah. You know, it's really hard. It's it's that feeling, you know, life isn't fair. And I and I so I'm so in awe of our kids when they um have these debilitating injuries and they, they don't get down. Um and then they because it's it's really hard, you know. And it's one thing when you have that type of injury and you're, you know, a 40 year old, it's another, when you have that injury and you're 14 or mm-hmm. six. So I, I remember that, I, I, that struggle that you had and, and it's, it's tough. Right. And, and you know, uh, Mirta Mowry, did you overlap with Mirta? I don't think you did. Mirta was 99 and she was the number, uh, number two or three junior in the country, cross country skiing. Anyway, Mirta, they went to the Bates carnival and, and uh, the, uh, the the when the original time came out, they were ten minutes slower than what their time was because they they actually beat the top skiers from UVM and and uh, Dartmouth by a few by a few seconds. You know they were first and second in this race, and and uh, you know so there were, were these incredible skiers, both of them both went on and but Myrta uh, going into her senior going into her freshman year at Dartmouth had a an accident slipped on a rock kayaking, you know, getting out of her kayak and, and, uh, fractured her patella and she never let it heal. She never let it heal. Um, and so here she is, has one of the best engines in the country and was never able to take advantage of that. And yet she, the misfortune provide opportunity. she be, she did some really amazing things at Dartmouth and other areas. And, and now thankfully she's healthy as can be. And, runs and skis and nothing there's no problems but it's it's so hard to have that perspective when you're 18 years old and you you know you're so excited you're you're the top recruit for dartmouth and you and then you crack your patella and you don't have the patience to be able to let it heal right mm-hmm. so anyway i'm yeah. It's hard. It's hard. What you had to deal with was really hard. And I I thought you did well. You know, the things you did with your music, trying new things, you know, you really you did. You had you had passions and you weren't defined, you weren't a mono-dimensional person, you know, even as a, a student in high school. And you're certainly not a monodimensional person now. <laughs> but it's very interesting
0: because I did switch my energy. I poured it into into music, and then when my wife um, got cancer and she asked me to leave New York City, um, I had to again leave behind the definition of who I was. I had to leave that identity behind and, and start over. And that was so, so hard. Because it wasn't like there was a crisis that happened like, directly to me or, or a problem or anything. It was, everything was going great. My, and it was just something my wife really needed yeah. and um and then when i encountered the other student well i encountered students in fresno and madera county as a sub because i needed to be home to take care of my wife and my kids um i saw how how cheated they were and and it and it cut me and i and i and i just i just felt like this overpowering like um, obligation to serve these underserved youth um,
1: Bless you. yeah. <laughs>
0: and, and and that's and, and the thing that I walked into the classroom every day in w- with was my enthusiasm I didn't care what class it was it could be the special ed class that you know was still there at 10 a.m. because no one would sub for them because they were too intimidated or the one at that 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 school that, you know, they all were intimidated because they said all oh, those kids are criminals or something like that. They still fall into stereotypes. And so I would go to all these these schools out and and I'd have my guitar, you know what I mean? <laughs> but that was like an extension of my enthusiasm. You know, I'd show up and play like jokey songs and they'd be like, What is this? Yeah. And they'd be drawn like, you know, like like a, a bee to a flower, you know, and flowers actually put off energy. It's energy signatures that draw the bees, not colors all these different things. It's this energy. And so that's what I did. And, and for a long time, I mirrored the students, you know what I mean? I, I showed them I was one of them and I mirrored what they were doing and fit in and, and ramped up their enthusiasm with inspiring stories and everything. But it was really so that I could, you know, get in there and then and then painlessly enjoy it and have them enjoy it and give them relief and show them that they're you know all this different stuff for a moment. But then I be I really began to realize that 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 I needed to do more. Um, and this whole process, full time teaching and then writing curriculum and then doing permaculture and even now doing the enthusiasm has been this this trying to figure out how to unlock the greatest potential and the greatest potential i believe for all human beings is, is to be able to love and be loved amen and, and so so I, that's you know that's my mission and i believe that our enthusiasm is what is what frees us to do that
1: well and look at what what you did was contagious right when when you took that into your classes It was contagious. And you, I mean, you were willing to try something different. And, but it was, the other thing is it was authentic. It was you. Um, Jim Connor said to me uh, when I first started teaching, because he had been, he'd been teaching a few years longer because I'd been traveling around doing other things. And he said, teach to your, teach to your personality, Phil. Don't, don't try to teach like me or like someone else teach to your personality and I, and I and that's that's what you did that you, you were being authentic and you were conveying your your passion your love and your enthusiasm for life and for them and for this opportunity you had this unique opportunity with these kids that no one else wanted to be with and what a gift what a, how nice that they had you <laughs> I still get messages from people who Sorry. are
0: adults now who I sub for one. Day, They said, because of you, I started singing, because I had, I had all this stuff I did. Um, and I just was, yeah, it was kind of like, I was like this traveling motivational speaker, you know, half the time. Sometimes it was, it was they were very young, and, and I had to just like play, like, try to keep up with them, because those younger kids are hard. <laughs> At a certain point, I stopped doing elementary school, because, <laughs> It was just I had to take too many uh, bathroom breaks because I was running around so much. <laughs> but, but, but I really feel like our role is to help, not just the adults, but, and I feel like when we help the youth, we we help the adults by default. Mm-hmm. But when we to 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 connect those 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 kids with their the ability to have that enthusiasm, so that. They can be those life learners. They can be those critical thinkers, those adaptable, you know, mentally, emotionally flexible people that we all really just want to be. Deep down, we want to be able to be resilient and bounce back, and 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 not let it get under our skin. But oh, it just seems to go. <laughs> so this this process. Um, I mean, what do you do today when when things go go south? I mean. Do, do you have? I mean, I have moments of frustration, and I tend to slow everything down. I tend to turn everything off, and I tend to breathe, and then and and go within, and say prayers, and and listen a lot, and breathe.
1: <laughs> you know, that really helps me. Um, you know, both the times we have at school, but also daily. You know, um, using a devotional and having time when just sort of uh, to keep things in perspective, and. Um, that's one of the gifts that comes with age too, right? As you, you realize this too will pass, you know, this, whatever the, but I, you know, we just had a, it's a silly, it's a silly little thing, right? We had uh, our house that we have off campus that you've seen before, you know, the one on the Hill house. Um, We were having the bathrooms uh, remodeled and, uh, and some windows replaced and the guy came in who we worked with at the school. He's a really good uh, art, uh, artisan. Anyway, he came in and he, he gutted, he had, he had one of his, his, um, his subs gut the bathrooms. So they're not useful anymore. And then the products were delivered, but we didn't, they just said come in and then he left, he left us. So the house was completely unusable. Um, we didn't have any, the subs weren't communicating with Rob and I was, school had started, so I had actually, I didn't have any time to help with this. And um, you know, it, it it stunk. And then we hired uh, a contractor who did do, do a good job. And and you know, it was getting expensive and it was a pain, but you know, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, th- this is too bad, but you know, we're in the scheme of things, it's a house <laughs> I and mean, it's a house and we love our house and it's great and it's going to get done. But I think that patience and ability to not, um, one of the interesting things, you know, I, um, I'd never finished my dissertation, but I did all the research behind it and, um, wrote three chapters. And unfortunately, I just couldn't be head of school and have the time to finish it. Oh, but one of the things when I asked heads of school and there was this group that I had, that was exemplary eight, exemplary heads of school, I said, what are you looking for in um, teachers that would make you think that they would be a, a great leader? And the thing that I was, I found most interesting was one of the things that almost all of them said is they're looking for someone who's unflappable and comfortable with ambiguity. And, um, you know, I think, I think as you get older, it's easier to be unflappable and comfortable with ambiguity. But I do think that's, um, not that i'm striving to do that but i i don't i I, you know it's life's too short you know i mean i've got robin who i adore the kids you know are are wonderful you know i've got a great job this stinks but you know what we'll get through it let's work let's figure this out we just we have each other we can get through this and I, i so that's a simple little thing but i um you know it's and and I love your your thinking about enthusiasm, Matt. I think you're I think you're really on to something and I'm excited to know more. All right. Well I'll let you take it and
0: uh I'll bring my family over and visit you soon.
1: You better. All
0: right. All right. <laughs> Thank you so, so much.
1: So good to talk with you. Take care, Matt.
0: You too. Bye. Bye.